hey, guess what? I got the best news. You ready? You came back. You are back. Give yourself a hand. Like a little more energetic, like two cups of coffee. Clap. Thank you. Guys, that's legit. That is no joke. Like, I mean, you came twice. Let's keep a roll going. Amen. We can do this. You can do it. Um, I'm so glad to see you back. And if this is your first week here, man, we're happy you're here. It is not too late. It is not too late to start. Um, This week has been, it's been fun. Also interesting to see your comments and your thoughts as you've been digging in to Psalms. And and I'm, I'm telling you, like, already, I'm just so energized. Are you energized? No? More coffee. There's some out there. Let's do that next time. Let's coffee before, right? That'll help me. Um, If you're new, I want you to understand something about sitting shoulder to shoulder with these ladies is we are all in here together to learn. Like we, we are all, none of us are Bible scholars. If you are a Bible scholar, I say this, come to the front at the end and I would like to talk to you because maybe I need to give you the microphone. I'm just like you, like I'm doing the homework. I'm learning. I'm letting God show me things. And then in turn, when I get to talk to you guys and hear what's going on in your groups, I get to learn what he wants me to learn from you. And so we are on this journey together. And last week I talked about that, right? Remember I kind of, I showed the picture of my kid and I said, man, sometimes we're climbing up the mountains and we need to push, amen? And sometimes we're the ones pushing. And so I want to remind you that you are sitting in a room full of pushers, also those who need to be pushed, And so let's be that for each other, okay? So if you're new, just know that. You are sitting with a bunch of friends that are on the journey with you. You are not alone. Every week, uh, we're going to encounter moments in our homework, moments in this time that I get to teach, moments in your your small group where you're going to be sitting there, and I'm just guessing, but but I'm speaking from my experience, where you hear someone talking, or maybe you encounter something in your homework, a question, or you hear me say something, and you're like, I don't know about that. Or maybe you're going to say this, I've never heard that in my life and I feel completely inadequate. Or you're going to get to a question and go, I just don't know how I'm going to get to the next question. Can I, can I encourage you and remind you that you are not alone and that we are all going to dwell in the what? Yeah, we're going to dwell there. We're going to hang out there because here's the thing. If you get to a question or you hear me say something or there's a discussion and you don't know the answer, I have the best news. God does. And he's God and you're not. Amen? Anybody happy about that today? Same, 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 same. Um, So just have courage and remember that you're not alone and that you can be in those places where you don't know. Because sometimes when we allow God to speak truth into us, it's because we've given pause and said, I don't know the answer. And so today, I hope you'll remember that when you go to your discussion groups. Well, I wanted to um, freak some of you out because that's fun for me. I mean, I can see your faces. Uh, if you're a type A person or you're like super like OCD about stuff, you probably loved this lesson because we covered five Psalms and we did day one, we did which Psalm? And day two, we did. Okay, so you get the point. So logically, I am going to teach today on Psalm 25. You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. There are going to come weeks where I'm going to blow you away a little bit. I'm going to get you a little uncomfortable. Um, There are going to come weeks where I teach on something that we did not cover in the homework. And, And that's intentional because remember when we talked about the Psalms last week, we talked about how there are how many of them? 150. That's like in Chris terms, that's like a million. So that's a lot. So we may not hit every... 
we will not hit every single one of them. And so sometimes in lecture, I'm going to mess with you a little bit and come and teach something completely different just to see if you're paying attention. And then there may be some weeks where you cover, like I think the week we cover Psalm 18, I'm going to teach on Psalm 18. So just know that every time you come in here, it might be a little different than you expect, but just roll with it, okay? We've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, in your homework this week, if you were able to do it, if you're new here, you're going to get to listen and talk about it in the discussion group, and I hope that that's, that's fun and encouraging. But in your homework, you covered five psalms, like I mentioned, and we know that at least four of them were written by whom? David, King David. Four of them, at least, were written by King David. You saw some musical terms. Did anybody see that, um, that word selah? In there, it was kind of like in the like in the side, off to the side. Well, you're going to see more terms like this and more subscripts and little descriptions. And I just want you to know this about the word Selah. It's a musical term. We know that. But here's what it means. We just don't know. <laughs> you're welcome. Really smart. I'm not lying. We, we, here's the thing. Scholars can, can make guesses at what it means. And we do believe that it probably... Um, has something to do with a pause. I like to think of it as a breath, you know, like a deep breath. Like when you see that word, just stop for a minute. Because oftentimes it is in this perfect location and you just think, okay, I think the psalmist wants us to just breathe for a minute. And so you're going to see little things like that that happen throughout the psalms. Because remember, they're songs and they're poems and they're prayers. So you saw some musical terms. There's, you're going to see Selah like 71 times. So you're going to get real comfortable with that one. Um, we did a little historical background in our homework, didn't we? Remember Absalom? Did that make you sad? It made me sad. It's David's son. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. And then we got to encounter the ebbs and flows of real faith, didn't we? We already, in the first five Psalms, we got to see doubt and struggle and confusion and complaining and confessions and petitions. Anybody relate to any of that? That is our life, man. This is our real life language. That's where we got to encounter God this week. And so today, I'm going to talk about, like I mentioned, Psalm 25. And if you have your Bible and you want to open it, cool, we'll get to that in a minute. But I did want to start us talking about our David a little bit. You see, David is going to be like kind of our central author, our central character, like for the first five weeks for sure. Because remember how last week I told you that there's 150 of those Psalms, so like a bazillion, right? And so what the organizers and the arrangers that put together the Bible way back in the old, olden days, what they did is they broke them into five collections. And, and they're really not chronological in order at all. They're really, a lot of them are grouped kind of by, um, by the voice or, or by a theme or things like that. And so the first book that we're going to encounter is 1 through 41, Psalm 1 through 41, and it's considered the story of the reign of David, and so understandably, you're going to see a lot about David. I mean, I think he writes like, we think 37 of them. So this first couple weeks, man, we are going to be digging deep into the life of King David. And so I just thought it'd be fitting if we talked about him a little bit for a minute. Does anybody, has anybody, this is a dumb question, but go ahead and help me with this. Anybody ever heard of King David? Yay, look, we're all awake. Okay, well, did you know that he's the most written about Bible character in the whole Bible? I did not know that. He wrote 73 Psalms, we think. Like I mentioned, he wrote most of book one of the Psalms collection. There's 59 times in the New Testament that King David is referenced. 59 times. That's amazing, isn't it? 59 times his life was significant. 
And in the book of Acts, we see God personally being quoted, God himself calling David what? A man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. You know, I, I don't know what you know about the life of David. And I hope that, um, I, I just, I hope that you understand as we walk through this together that um, all Bible characters that God says have a heart um, at, like his own are perfect. No. Is David perfect? It's, you're about to, it's been real ugly. David had a super ugly, messy life, but so do we. And so every time I see this, like I think about David, oh, you know, he has a man after God's own heart. But if you don't know the history of David, you don't know like what his resume looks like, you may, you may tend to lean into that, that believing that as well. And you may adopt this false belief that people in the Bible had it all together. Guys, I am here to tell you right now, this guy, David, this king, he did not have it all together. And you know, sometimes I've talked to friends in the past who, who, who are like troubled by that. They're like, I don't like David because he was a nasty, nasty man, messy life. And I'm thinking, I love David. David is me. Amen. For you to be able to sit here and study this man who God knew fully, he knew his heart. He knew every dark turn that David's life took and he still called him a man after his own heart. And we stand here today and we sing the songs that this man wrote should give you hope to give us all hope that we are never, never, never lost. We always have opportunity to come to know him. You know, I, I talk about this um, sometimes. My mother-in-law, Susan's in the room. Her mother, okay, let me just tell you this. This is the thing about David. David is a man who lived this bumpy life up and down, up and down, but like he lived it till the very end. He lived a life chasing after God till the very end. My mother-in-law's mother, Nana, great Nana, if y'all see her call, great Nana, Jean, She's in her 90s, and I want to tell you something about her life. And it always encourages me. And I hope that you, you hear this and have, have the great nanas in your life. But this is what's funny about her. She's had a faith in Jesus for quite some time and a lot of her life. And they would go to church when they were younger and all the things that some of us um, are, have the gift of encountering. But here's what I love about her. So several years ago, she moves to this apartment complex and, and it's like, um, it's the senior living. I don't know what we call it now. Senior living. Yes. Senior living. So she's in this apartment and Susan comes over to my house one day and she goes, you're not going to believe what my mother's doing. I'm like, what? She goes, well, she's got this group of like five women that are going to come to her house every week and sit around her kitchen table and have coffee. And they're going to do a Bible study together. Guys, they're like in their nineties. And then Susan goes on to say, um, two of them fall asleep. They're not even awake the entire time. <laughs> but who cares, man? The Bible's open, right? The best holy nap you'll ever get. <laughs> but I love that about great Nana. I love that she is living every breath of her life until the day that she gets to go see Jesus face to face for the kingdom. And, and that's kind of what I think about. Like, you're never going to hit this moment where you have arrived. Amen? Never. Every breath we have opportunity to come to know him in a deeper way. And that's the life of David. And so with that, I want to share a few more things about our David um, that you may know, you may not know. Of course, I can't share all the things because we'd be here for all the time and the childcare workers would get super mad. So here's a few things you might know about David, might know about King David. You might know this, that he defeated a giant, didn't he? with some rocks and stuff, like you might know that story when he was young. You may know this, that he assisted the very first king of Israel, Saul. He was a distinguished warrior. He was a chosen king. You know, God handpicked him, handpicked him to be king. He was the second king of Israel. Saul was the first. 
He defeated enemies. He built a powerful empire. Now, if we just kind of wrapped right there, sounds pretty good, huh? Did you also know that he was a shepherd boy? You may have known that. That he lived and worked in the fields with his dad and his brothers. And, 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 and I, whenever I read about David as a shepherd boy, I see these words. I see unseen, unknown, unappreciated. He was out in the field. His brothers, like when Samuel came to say, hey, this is the one that God chose to be God. I mean, all of his brothers and his dad were like, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> I was a wrong kid. He was unseen, unknown, unappreciated, and lived that life for a while. He was a musician and a writer of songs. He was chosen, and it was not a smooth transition into leadership. He was plotted against. He was hunted down. He fled and hid in the, in the wilderness. He was an outlaw on the run. He suffered family dissension, and he dealt with political revolts. Also, did you know this about David, our, our king, our shepherd boy? Did you know that he did this? He took harems. And he departed from traditional family structure and he started watching his family in his home disintegrate. His children were a disaster. I mean, we read about one of his sons who went to kill him. Hey, you know what? I want you to remember this encouragement today. If you have children, if, if they have not tried to run and kill you yet, you are, you are doing well. I mean, David, man, his son was the one who was chasing him down and trying to kill him. He let his household become out of control completely out of control. He was an absentee dad. He was an absentee um, husband. He wasn't managing his home well, and he wasn't leading well. His son attempted to take over, overtake him and kill him. He became an adulterer. He became an, a murderer. And at times, people turned on him. King David, a man after God's own heart. Hard, hard, isn't it? Like we want, I think in our lives, like we want to believe, like if I get everything all cleaned up, then God's going to say that about me. Let me promise you this. He's going to say it about you anyway, sister. He loves you. He loves you. And so what are we going to do with that? Are we going to chase after him like David did? In the midst of all of this up and down, David still had a heart for the Lord. And you're going to see that over and over and over. You're going to see him confessing all the messy, messy things that he encounters. You're going to see him, him lamenting and begging God to make things end. You're going to see him talk about unfairness. You're going to open his journal and just start reading and going, man, is this really in the Bible? And that's what's so beautiful about it, right? This real. A man after God's own heart. Why do you suppose God uses a man like David? Why do you think? God's value system is different than ours. His value system is different than ours. And his value system generates hope for the future. Like when you look at David, instead of looking at him and, and judging all those decisions he made and go, God, I can't believe he made that decision. I hope you look at him like you're looking in the mirror and say, there is hope for my future because the Lord loves David and he loves me the same. He's the same God. David, God doesn't love us conditionally. God doesn't ask us to earn his favor. He loves us just as we are. He loved David just as he was. Well, that's encouraging. That alone should help us sleep better at night, right? Well, we're going to take a look at, um, at Psalm 25. We're going to look at some of the, the words that David um, speaks in this psalm. And I want you to know this. Um, this psalm is very similar to some of the ones you read earlier in your homework. This psalm is considered one of those that is, um, it's like David, is, he's, he's like so familiar with pain in this psalm. Anybody? 
It's been said that this psalm is not reacting to a single happening, but it's actually like a reflection on a whole bunch of events that shaped his life. So we don't know exactly the time when he wrote this, but we do know that he has this big, huge life that he's looking back on, and you're going to see elements of it in this psalm, okay? In this psalm, you're going to see that regardless of circumstances, that he's going to rely on the goodness and mercy of God. We can take that with us. You're going to see the word way like a whole bunch of times, like five times or something. You're going to see the word path a bunch of times. And so it's this theme, this theme of, of deep, honest faith in the midst of deep turmoil while you're traveling along this path that God has set out for you. That's what we're going to learn in Psalm 25. Psalm 25. So here's what I did. And I want to tell you this too, just so you'll know what to expect when you come in here and we talk about different Psalms. Um, there are a lot of words in Psalms. Amen. Anybody? Yes. A lot of words. I wish we could break down every word. We can't because again, childcare. <laughs> so, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you the things that God has brought to my attention. And this is what I would encourage you to do, especially in a week like today where, where I'm going to talk about a Psalm we haven't read yet. Go read it. And, and start like this, start like this, ready? It's very sophisticated, you may wanna write it down. Hey God, show me what you want me to know about this Psalm for my life, amen. He loves that. I think he loves that. Fewer words, more truth. Ask him and he'll show you things. And so I'm gonna share with you what he showed me. Um, and, and I think that it's going to matter to you because I felt like um, all of our names were stamped on this one, on Psalm 25. So take a look at it with me. We're gonna look at five things that David will ask of God in the midst of Psalm 25. He's gonna ask God to teach him. He's gonna ask God to lead him. He's gonna ask God to remember him. He's going to ask God to deliver him and also preserve him. So take a look, if you have your Bible, take a look at it with me. The first three verses of Psalm 25 are essentially an expression of trust, okay? To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. He basically is saying, look, I trust that you know who the bad guys are and you know who the good guys are and you know my heart, okay? That's what he says in the first three verses. In verses four through five, he starts asking for guidance. When you know and you trust and you love God, you want to be led by him. And so that's what's going to happen is you're going to see David going, hey, I recognize who I am in light of who you are. And so I'm going to ask you some things in truth and in trust and knowing that you're going to hear me and you're going to answer me. Who approaches him like that? Like, I love that. I don't know how you feel. Like half the time my prayers, they're, they're, they're a little weak I'm not going to lie. You might've noticed I, I'm not the best like fancy prayer for sure. But sometimes I approach God in this way. Like I ask him for things or I tell him things and I don't have the full confidence that David has. Look for that. When you see his words, I want you to look for his confidence because he says these words and he's like, God's going to do the thing. Watch me him do the thing. I want to be like David. In verse four, he starts out by asking God to teach him asking God to teach him. I'm gonna read, follow along with me, verse four. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Verse five, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Listen, he's saying, teach me your paths. And if you jump down to verse 10, here's the beauty about God's path. Ready? All the paths of the Lord our steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So he's defining, he's like, God, this is what I know about you. This is who I know that you are. 
Your path is of steadfast love and faithfulness. Sometimes I don't see it because I'm stumbling over all the stuff that nine times out of 10 I put in the way. Amen? So instead he's saying, God, will you lead me? Will you lead me? Show me how to step over the things that I've done messed up. Lead me. You know, Psalm 1-6, if you did your homework, if you read Psalm 1, you might recognize that we talked about there were two ways. And the psalmist says, there's two ways and you get to choose which way you're going to live. That's the beauty of our God. We don't have a God who stands up there and he's like lightning bolts shooting down, correcting your path. He's saying, I'm going to give you a choice because I love you that much. Psalm 1-6, he says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Which way do we want to choose? Lead me, God. Lead me in the way. He goes on to ask for this. Lead me. He says, teach me. Excuse me. Teach me. And then he goes on to say, lead me. And when he talks about lead me in verse 5, he says, lead me in your truth. Lead me in your truth. Listen, verse 5 goes on to say, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I will wait all the day long. So when he's saying, lead me in the truth, he's recognizing the fact that there is only one one who can lead you in the way of salvation, and that's God. Only one. I love, I mean, we're, we're like barely into this thing, and David's already going, this is what it is, this is how it is, and this is what I'm asking of you. Teach me, lead me. Well, he goes on in verses 6 through 11, and he's asking for more things. Essentially, he's asking for forgiveness. Look at it with me. Verse 6, remember your mercy, O Lord. And your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. I love this. Hey, man, somebody cross-stitch that and put it on a pillow. It's a lot of words. It's important. It's important to ask him this because here's what I love is, is that David asks with, remember we said he's asking with trust already and love already and he knows God hears him. But he's asking according to God's steadfast love. He's saying, essentially, remember me, don't remember the things. Remember me, don't remember the, the, the bad stuff I do, I did, I will do. Please remember me and remember my heart. Who loves that? I mean, I, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm a, I, I, you got to know this. So th there are times in life where I have a voice in my ear um, that's telling me, hey, remember who you were? Remember the thing you said? Remember that one time when you did that thing? Remember the failure you had there? Remember that relationship that was all your fault that it broke apart? Do you remember? Well, I wanna, I wanna say something here because I don't think that God encourages us that way, girls. I think that there is an enemy who is whispering lies in your ear that wants you to remember the things that God says, I'm not going to remember the things. I love you and I'm going to forgive you and we're going to move forward. We listen to lies, don't we? I mean, I, all the time, like we have this thing, we pray together before I talk and half the time the prayer is this, Lord, Lord, quiet the lies, quiet the lies. We just want to hear your voice. And so I kind of feel like in my own Chris version, I feel like that's what David is saying. Like, Lord, remember your mercy and your steadfast love. Please remember that. But don't remember all the things that I've done, am doing, will do. You can ask him for that. Um, I always think of it this way. He didn't send his son to die for some sins. Do you know that? That would not make sense. It would be a waste of a good life lived. He sent Jesus to die for every 
single sin, every single one. It's not like there's some over here that are worse than some over here. And he's like, I'll die for these, but those are just, nah, I'm not. That is not who our Jesus is. So know that, that God the Father loves us so much that he sent his son to die for every single one of these things. So when David cries out, please don't remember the bad stuff. Please remember me in the midst of your steadfast love and faithfulness. God's like, got you, I got you. And he says that to us too. Don't listen to those lies, okay? Off soapbox, back into the podium here. Okay, verses 12 through 22. I'm not gonna read all this. I'm just gonna jump around a little bit for the sake of time. But I did want you to see that I feel like this is the most key request that David has for God. He says this, he says, deliver me. Verse 20, he says, deliver me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. Girls, I mentioned before that there's an enemy whispering lies in your ear. There's an enemy whispering the, the, the regrets and, and, and the bad choices in your ear all the time. And it's a real thing. And you can believe me or not believe me, but it's a real, real thing. But there's a voice that's louder. Amen. But this is what I love about David. He calls out all the enemies, all the things that God helped him conquer. He calls them out here like in a roll call. See if you can relate to some of them. Look at verse 15 with me. Verse 15. He's calling out the fact that he has been in danger and God's helped him overcome it. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. For he will pluck my feet out of the net. David has been in dangerous situations. He's been trapped and he's been facing obstacles and God has taken care of him. He's remembering that right now. The next thing that David overcomes with the help of God, he, he, he makes point to say that he's very lonely in verse 16. In verse 16, he says this, Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. You don't have to raise your hand. I know the answer. How many people can relate to this? It's a lonely place. Like, stop for just a second and think about this. Like, David is the leader of, 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 of these people, right? He is God's chosen king, and he's lonely? What does that tell you about us? What does that tell you about those of us who, who are hanging around here in, in Flower Mound, Texas, and we're on social media all the time like this? I mean, how lonely can it get it's very lonely, isn't it? Because we start believing lies and we start thinking things that are, that are not true. David had the exact same problem. You know, being a leader can be a lonely place. You know what else can be a lonely place? Being a follower of Jesus, super lonely place. Making choices that are not popular with culture, very lonely. I don't know about you, but if you're sitting in this room and you've chosen to spend time in God's word and come and study openly and walk in with other super cool girls, there's probably somebody in your life whether they're a friend or a friend, you know, social media guys, they're not really your friends. We know that, right? We're clear on that? Yes, okay. But you, you're probably getting pushback from people, right? The world doesn't like it, and it can be a lonely place to try to do the things that make us more like God, make us more like Jesus, live a life that's holy, it's hard, and it's lonely. And David is saying that, and he's the king, and everybody like has to clap for him and stuff, and he's still lonely. In verse 17, he talks about having a broken heart. He says this, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Gosh, what, I felt that in my bones when I read that. Bring me out. I love the fact that he doesn't just camp out in his self-absorbed places because we all have broken hearts sometimes. 
And sometimes the people in our homes have broken hearts and that's even worse, right? Like we just think, God, I can do it, but not this person. But I love that David is so very clear about this is the reality of how I feel and how hard it is. But Lord, bring me out of it. You can do it. Bring me out. Trust. I hear trust in his words. He goes on in verse 18 and he talks about regrets. I mentioned that a little bit before. He talks about regrets. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. It is an okay thing. It is a super awesome thing to constantly be aware of those things that you regret and put them at the feet of Jesus and say, man, I'm sorry and I regret that. Because I'll tell you what, regret, regrets are okay when you look back for a minute and go, Lord, I want to give you this because I don't want it to keep haunting me. Do you know the difference? I want to say to you, I am sorry about who I was and what I said and the things that I did and the clothes that I wore in college. Amen? <laughs> Hairspray, all that. It's a sin. It's terrible. Anyway, but I do, I want to be able to say that I can have those regrets. I'm not going to just not know that that's who I was because I don't want to go back to that. Y'all stop me if my hair does this. Not okay. But I do want to lay it at his feet and be done with it and trust that he is doing what he says he will do and he is forgiving those regrets. The enemy wants you to remember your regrets. The enemy wants you to remember your regrets. Satan is the accuser. It says so in here at the end, at the end of the book. There's, there's a chapter called Revelation 12, 10, and it reminds us that he is the accuser and that is where he is so powerful to remind us of all those things that we just know that God has already taken from us and already wiped the slate clean, but we keep taking it back, don't we? Keep taking it back. Just think about 80s hairstyles and don't take it back. Well, he goes on in verses 19 and 20, and he's talking now about fear. He's talking about fear. And I know that we understand this because I, I don't even consider myself like a super fearful person, but I feel like in the last few months, I am washed, overwhelmed with it. Are you guys like watching the news? Anything, just life is scary. I don't know, but I love that David says, me too, me too. In verse 19, he says this, consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Verse 20, oh, guard my soul and deliver me. He's afraid for his life. David is afraid for his life. Are we afraid for our lives? Maybe not, maybe not, maybe not always, but you know we are afraid. We're afraid to fail. We're afraid for the death of our reputations. We're afraid to bring disgrace right? To God, to our family, whatever. Like I have had so many people in my life that they probably wouldn't say it like this because this is churchy way to say it, but I'm going to say it like this, that they, I would say like, I would go, um, hey, you want to come to Bible study with me? Or you want to come to, I don't know, something fun that's, that's, that's a good thing that, you know, that they're going to learn a little bit about the Lord. And hey, you want to come with me? And you know what? A lot of times they're like, eh, I don't know. I'm just not, I don't fit with those people, those church people. And it's like, I want to go, hey man, we're messier than you. We just all sit in the chairs together. We just do it together. But right, but like they're, they're, they're afraid that if you really dig down deep to the heart of the matter, a lot of times they're like, no, you, but you don't know what I've done and you don't know what my life looks like and you don't know the way I'm living. And there's no way I can face God with that. Right? I mean, if we really call it what it is, they're so afraid. I've been that girl. I've been so afraid. And I love the fact that King David reminds us, same, same. Fear. 
in the evening class last night, I brought up, um, I was talking to my daughter this week. She's a senior in high school, and um, she, she's so funny. She, um, I was talking to her about, um, about the way um, her school year's going, and she's in physics. Everyone want to pray? Stop and pray right now, real quick. That is not of the Lord, science, no. But you know what? Our conversation went like this. She kind of kept telling me. I was like, tell me about how that class is going and everything. And she's like, it's terrible. I'm going to fail. It's all. But, but every, the beginning of every statement, she makes great. She's great. She's just a teenage girl. Again, pray. Let's pray. <laughs> no, she's amazing. She's incredible. But the thing that, um, that she kept starting her sentences with was this statement. See if you've heard this before. I'm afraid that I'm going to fail. I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to be ready for this class. I'm afraid that dot, dot, dot. Anybody? I mean, that is like our regular language, isn't it? That's our everyday language. We say, I'm afraid that. Instead of saying, I, am, I, I may be afraid of that, but God is bigger than that. Amen? God is bigger than physics. I'm going to tell her that. It's in the Bible somewhere. I'm sure of it. But it's true, like even in the little things like physics, which to me is little, to her it's the biggest thing. Or these giant things like marriage, um, losing jobs, illness, broken friendships, the world, floods, guns, the things that, that frighten us, right, that scare us to death. David reminds us that we can say to God, I'm afraid and I need for you to consider all the things that I'm afraid of and guard my soul and deliver me from it. Amen. We can ask him for that. Well, he goes on um, to talk about despair. He goes on to talk about his despair in verses 21 and 22. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. Redeem Israel, God. He's, he's in despair, but here's what's cool. He says, basically, but I will wait for you in verse 21. Did you hear that? I will wait for you. What does that even mean? It means that I have hope. It means that even when God doesn't like fix the thing, when you pray about the despair that you have and he doesn't just go, okay, ready and boom, it's all good. Now, kumbaya, everybody's good. Let's, he, doesn't, he doesn't usually operate that way, I'm sorry. But, but what we can learn from David is that we can see that maybe he's not answering it quite the way we want it to, quite in the same timing that we want it to, but he hears us and he knows us and he loves us and we can wait on him. And that's what David is saying. I will wait on you. I have hope. Well, the last thing that we see in this section is that um, verse, um, verse 21, he's talking about preserving me. Please, God, preserve me. He's asking for integrity and uprightness to continue in his life. You know, I mentioned Great Nana before. That's what I love about the life of Great Nana is she hasn't arrived. She's not like, you know what, I'm in my 90s. It's time to sit back, put my feet up, collect seashells, and just chill. No, she's having women around her table to fall asleep on their Bibles. Amen? Amen? So cool. Integrity and uprightness that continues all the days of our lives. In verse 21, the word, there's like a big churchy word that sometimes you'll hear. And I like to break it down this way. The word is sanctification. And what that means is like um, once you come to know the Lord, once you come to know him in a way that, 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 is, 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 that is, is a saving knowledge of who he is. And you come to love him and you come to accept his son Jesus who came to die for all those things that we wish we hadn't done and that we are doing. 
The beautiful thing is it's not just a one and done, like get your golden ticket, woo, you're going to heaven. It's not done. It's like eternal life starts the minute you decide, I'm in, I'm in. I don't know what I'm in for, but I'm in, Lord. And when you decide that, you know what he does? He transforms you. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you believe. I don't know what you think. I don't know what you think about this, but I will say this with with confidence. If you have come to know Jesus Christ, you are not the same as you were the day before. You're just not. You change. Things change. Sometimes you kind of can't put your finger on it. But like for me, when I go back talking about college and the 80s in my hair, I think about like 80s Chris just saw things differently, you know? She just saw things, and she sought out things differently. And I'm not saying she was this evil, horrible King David character, but she did some things that, that this Chris now wouldn't do. And it's not because I'm so holier than now. You know what it is? It's because I have Jesus living in my heart, and he pushes me in directions and goes, hey, mm, bad hairstyle choice. Let's not do that. We're going to move this way. He does that. Sanctification. Sanctification is deciding you believe in Jesus, and then the beautiful thing is God starts making you more like him. I, I love that. You know, I love when people talk about Jesus because they talk about how he came to the earth and he died for our sins. But you know what I like to always add? But he also came to the earth to live a life that we can follow and try to live. Right? It's not a one and done thing, man. It's, it's a constant, till my last breath, great Nana kind of faith where I want to change and be better and know him in that way. Well, David, he had a lot to say about um, about his faith. He had a lot to show us about trusting God. And in closing, I want to share um, a thought with you. Um, I, I, in the very beginning, I, I kind of danced around this a little bit, and you'll remember like the title of your lesson was, what is God's sincerest desire for your heart? What is God's sincerest desire for your heart? If you got to week one, you got to that question, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Maybe you had some really cool, I can't wait to hear how your group discussion goes when you talk about it. But I want to share something with you. Um, the thing that I have, I have learned is this, that, that God's greatest desire for us, and I think King David would say that if he was standing right here with me, is he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him because if we know him, then we can love him. And if we love him, we can trust him. And guess what happens when you know him and you love him and you trust him with your life, with all of the things that David talked about in Psalm 25, then you share him, whether you like it or not, right? Do you have people in your life? I know, I am not gonna make eye contact with some of you, but I know some of you have been through heavy, heavy big things. But what's been so neat is when you go through the big heavies and you're reminded that people are watching how you do it. How are you doing this? How are you surviving this? And then they come to you and say, I don't know what's happening with you. But the way you're walking through this is not normal and is not natural. And it is not the way the world does it. I don't know what it is. Can you tell me what it is? And all of a sudden you're sharing who Jesus is. Maybe you don't realize that you're sharing it with words. You're sharing it with your life and the way you live. He wants us to know him. He wants us to love him, trust him, and share him. I don't know where you are. Are you a little shepherd boy? Are you feeling insignificant and unknown in your life? Are you um, running for your life? Are you hiding? Are you feeling attacked at every avenue? I don't know. Maybe you're living like a king right now. Maybe things are real good. I don't know where you are, but I will tell you there is one who does. 
And he knows that a time may be coming where you're hiding in a cave and a time may be coming where he's sending you back to pasture. That sounded weird. I retract that. Take that out. It sounded really wrong. Um, but he loves you. You know, um, right before we came out here, um, my sweet friend Dawn and I were backstage praying. And you know what she shared with me? And I just thought this is such a beautiful way to, to wrap up our time. She said, you know, in 1 John chapter 4, and we looked at it in the message version, there's this beautiful section. And it's, 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 it's basically in essence it says this. You can't know him without loving him. You can't know love without knowing God because God is love. You hear that, you know, and it's like, oh, flower thing and hippie. No, man, it's real. God is love. And he loves you so much that he wants you to know him because when you know him, you're going to know better about who you are. And he's going to watch you and walk with you on the path to transforming your life. That whole sanctification thing, it's a thing and it will happen. I don't want to be the same Chris I was before I knew him. I want to get to the end of my life like great Nana is approaching the runway for the end. Well, maybe not. She's amazing. Yeah, I mean, seriously. But she's going to go down every breath, every step, telling people who Jesus is and what he's done in her life. I want to be like that. I want to be like David. Let's pray together. And then we're going to wrap up this time. And then you're going to go get to have a great discussion in your small group. So pray with me. Father. I don't know where everyone is in their journey. Um, you do. That's, oh, I love that about you. I love that you love me and these women in this room as much as you love King David. You love us just as much. You are not conditional. You are not looking for us to clean up and fix up and get everything right before you, 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 you love us. And Father, um, for anyone in this room who doesn't understand that, who has never understood this unconditional love of a God who doesn't just love you, but he like put skin on and came down to this earth and lived a life that we should have lived and died a death that we honestly should have died, but instead he did it for us. And so, Father, if they don't know you, will you become real to them today? And all, all, all we need to do is acknowledge that that's what you did. You love us so much that you sent Jesus, and we believe. And so we thank you so much. We thank you so much that we get to learn that and we get to know that. God, be with these groups. Be with the conversations that are about to happen. Get real with them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.